Before we start, I wanted to read a note from CEO at Carpenter Place, Ben Zikafus. Most of you know Ben, and uh, most of you know many of the folks that do such great work at Carpenter Place. And uh, he wasn't sure exactly his travel schedule, wasn't sure if he would be here this morning or not, but uh, he asked me to read this note. I wanted to share it with you. Dear Northside, on behalf of Carpenter Place, I want to say thank you for all that you've done to help restore hope to the girls in our care. This year, you've made such an impact on our ministry through your support of the Light of Life efforts, Harvest Sunday, and through the Envelope Challenge. Whether you served as a volunteer at one of our work projects, joined us for lunch, taught a class, helped in our admin offices, mentored a girl, attended one of our events, driven the van for the groceries for girls, pick up, donated food and pantry items, or even gave a generous monetary gift, please know that you make a difference in the life of our girls. This ministry is blessed because of you. And I am daily reminded of how great God is through your example. Uh, it was a very nice note and very sincere. I know he meant that. And um, so thank you to those of you who have been involved with that. And to those of you who I was handed one today. So uh, have picked up one of these. Remember to you know, put something in that and mail that in or give that to myself or the Holtz. Um, it really has made an impact beyond words, although Ben did a very nice job of putting it into words to remind us that what we do as a congregation matters. Um, and it's not because we're so great, but it's because God's so great. Um, I'm not sure this season of year what kind of person you are. Um, there are two very dualistic Things that seem diametrically opposed to one another. The first is um, this idea of lights, Christmas lights. Uh, what kind of person are you when it comes to Christmas lights? Uh, some of you are, you know, kind of a what I am. I'm just, you know, just put a few on the house and and maybe hope that the children won't ask to put them up there again next year. At some point, hoping we'll get out of that, but, you know, climb up the ladder, precariously hanging over the edge off your roof, uh, trying to put those lights on so that they look right, uh, just so that we can say we did it. Some people don't go to that effort. Uh, your homes this season will be as dark as your heart. They are just <laughs> no, no lights at all. Not going to do it. That's okay. I can't pick on it. Some, someday I'll be there. I'll get more mature. But some people, I mean, man, you know, they are up there putting up the 25,000 imported Italian twinkle lights. I mean, they are going to deck the entire house inside and out. Now, I don't know what, what your house looks like. But you can't ignore the lights that are up at this time of year, knowing, I mean, whether it's at your home, whether it's going to Lights on St. Paul or going down Candy Cane Lane or over to see Illuminations at Botanica. How many of you have done any of those things already yet this year? How many of you plan to do them at some point during this season? Okay, Lots of people recognize this infusion of light into the world we live in. Now... It's noticeable partially because we're getting closer and closer to the winter solstice, the time 
the shortest day of the year, somewhere around December 20th or 21st. But you'll notice the days are getting darker and darker. And, and some people, this really affects them. I mean, it affects their, their mood and affects their uh, emotions. It's a real thing. It's, it's with this interesting sort of juxtaposition of this growing darkness and this increasing light that I want to talk to you this morning about what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. Our series is called Unexpected Christmas, and we're talking about these exact two things that come to play in what is known as the birth story of Christ. Now, I will I always have to preface this by saying the word Christmas in a church setting gets a lot of different reactions. Maybe you grew up in a church where, I mean, Christmas was hardly ever mentioned they didn't do anything. They said, Christmas is not in the Bible. It, it, December 25th is not the birth of Christ. We don't, we don't know anything about it. And that's true. It, December 25th, we don't know if Jesus was born then. That was just a day that was picked. And, and it, really, the odds are not very good. I guess I'll say there's a 1 in 365th chance <laughs> that Jesus was born on December 25th. But we don't know. Maybe you grew up in a different type of church. I mean, they had the, 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 it just all the sorts of decorations and the lights and, and it was a big to do. And, and I know, you know some people when I'm talking, just making chit chat and I say, well, they'll ask, well, what do you do? And I'll say, well, I'm in ministry. And they say, oh, this must be your busy season. Well, every, everybody's got a little different read on this. But let me talk to you for just a second and say, uh, that though we do not know when Christ was born, that's exactly true. There's a reason that it's not in the Bible. Because the important thing is not when he was born, but that he was born. And some people say, well, you know, it's really not about the birth story at all. It's about the resurrection. It's about the cross. I mean, the, the, the babe in a manger is just a, listen, hold on. I, I, I do agree that our hope is in the resurrection, the living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But I also know that there would have been no empty tomb if he had not gone into the tomb, if he had not hung on that cross that Jesus Christ and him crucified. But I also know that he would have not gone to the cross if he had not been alive as a human being. And that never would have happened unless he was born. I think we do a great disservice to come into the Christmas season when the world's talking about using the word Christ must. And we don't, as a church, take the opportunity to say, let's talk about these four chapters in the book. Now, now when you read those four chapters in the book, you're going to come to some amazing conclusions. First of all, the classic nativity story, we got a lot of details way wrong. There's a lot of parts in there in our story that aren't in the story. And I think it's a wonderful thing to be able to look at what the Word says. Uh, Simple things like, there were no three wise men. There were three gifts offered, but, but we don't know how many wise men there are. It could have been 23, I guess. The word doesn't say. There's no star of Bethlehem. There, there's a reference to his star. You see, there's all these things that we put together in the classic story that we, we just have missed because we didn't pay attention. So we're going to talk about Christmas. We're going to talk about the birth story because, one, I think it's important, and two... If I can speak to you from a spiritual warfare perspective, I think our enemy is most pleased with churches that don't talk about it at all. 
They don't want us talking about the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, or the resurrection of Christ. The more we talk about any of those things, as far as what the book says, that's a good thing. So light and darkness, those are the top two things we're going to talk about today. I don't know how you get your news. Is it, uh, is it scrolling through your Twitter feed? Is it going to the Drudge Reporter, checking a website, maybe have a homepage that you like to frequent? Is it, is it sort of like a, a 1980s thing where you actually watch the news on television? Do people still do that anymore? Maybe you go back even farther than that and you still read an actual physical newspaper. I'm not sure how you do it, but whether you're scanning the newspaper or you're watching it on television or you're scrolling along on your phone, you can be assured of one thing, the world has problems. I mean, you, you don't have to read more than the top fold of the paper. You don't have to scroll through Twitter more than half a second. You don't have to watch the TV more than about a nanosecond to get the idea that it's bad. Now, can I tell you something? Sometimes as preachers, it's possible for us to get a little caught up and say, man, it's the worst it's ever been. It's terrible. It's awful. But let me tell you, it's always been bad. Now, let me give you an example from the past few months, some, some news story, some top of the fold kind of stuff that you would have seen. Uh, October the 1st, a lunatic went up in the high, high rise of a hotel Busted out the windows and opened fire on a crowd of music festival goers that were just there to enjoy the evening, enjoy the night. And he opened fire well over a thousand rounds. And in that scope of time, he left 58 people dead and well over 500 people injured. And we said, oh my goodness, what is the world coming to? What kind of world are my children growing up in, my grandchildren growing up in? October 31st, an Islamic terrorist rented a truck, drove it down a bicycle path, killed eight people who just were going for a ride on their bike that day, injured 12 others. You say, what is happening? I mean, it's dangerous even to go for a bike ride anymore. Just a few weeks ago on November 5th, there were people meeting in a small little church building in Sutherland Springs, Texas. And a, a deranged atheist came in loaded for bear and killed almost half of the people in that small congregation, including the pastor's 14-year-old daughter. The description of him shooting children who were hiding under the pews wrenches the heart. And you think, oh my goodness, it's not even safe to go to church anymore. I mean, you know after that happened, everybody came in here the next Sunday, you're like, okay, if it happened, what would we do? If it happened, what, 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 what would be the, the instant reaction? It's not even safe to go to church anymore. The world's a dark place, but don't misunderstand. It's always been a dark place. No one wants bad things, and yet the bad things and the dark things keep 
happening. It's worse than that. The problem is that our solutions don't seem to solve. The problem is we come up with silly solutions. I mean, we've got sort of the bumper sticker solutions, which, I mean, that is just the dumbest bumper sticker I've ever seen in my life. That solves nothing. It accomplishes nothing. It just makes you feel good and sort of makes a bumper sticker business guy some money. Some people say, well, wait, I know there's evil in the world, but if we just do enough good, if we just be nice enough, if we just be more humanitarian, we can overcome all the darkness and all the evil. And I'd love to agree with you on that, but let me tell you that the darkness is always going to be there. You can't overcome it. And there's some people who think of it from a political standpoint. They say, if we could just, if we, we just write enough laws, we could fix all this. If we just make enough rules, we can, we can undo, we can, we can fix the problem so that one day we read the paper, we scroll to the Twitter, we watch television, and we won't see any darkness. And I can only answer that by saying the old adage about, if you think the problem is bad, just wait until you see the solution the government has for it. We can't Fix this on our own because our solutions are really only dealing with the symptoms. The real problem, you see, is much deeper than that. The Bible addresses the problem, the real problem, as darkness. You say, when did the darkness start? The, the, the baby boomers say, I'll tell you when the darkness started, these millennials with their selfies all the time, hashtag give me a break. I mean, the women, they blame the men. Men blame the women. The Democrats blame the Republicans. The Republicans blame the independents. And the truth is, since Adam's sin, we have been perpetually blaming Eve. It's part of the darkness. I know the darkness is here, but I didn't start it. It was somebody else. I can't remember who it was. A great theologian wrote a song. It went something like, we didn't start the fire. It's always been burning since the world's been turning. And that is absolutely true. We have tried in vain to fix it ourselves. We think that bumper stickers will bring peace. We think that legislation will stop the lunacy. We believe that tolerance will stop terrorism, and that hashtags will have any effect on hatred. And it can't. It's impossible because we're dealing with symptoms. We're not dealing with the root cause. You see, we are not the solution. We can't be. Because the truth is, the darkness isn't out there in some metaphorical way. The darkness is real. And can I tell you something? The darkness is within you and me. The preacher, yeah. The darkness is the human condition, the brokenness. The Bible calls it sin. Jesus said this, turn to Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. The Pharisees of the day were concerned about the outward appearance, about how they washed their hands and what they ate and drank. And Jesus said, listen, you haven't got to worry about that. He said, what you've got to worry about is that old heart from within you. In Matthew fifteen nineteen, he said, for it is out of the heart 
come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. The problem is that the darkness is within you. You trying to fix the darkness is like a mechanic trying to repair an engine with broken tools. A surgeon to do an operation with busted hands. It is like wanting Helen Keller to be your optometrist. It's like trying to go to Chick-fil-A on Sunday. It's not going to work. Paul identified this struggle. He, he nailed it in, in his wonderful treatise and letter of Romans. And I want to hear what the book of Romans has to say. Brother Ken's going to read that for us in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, is where you're going to turn in your Bibles. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. And we're going to listen as Ken reads it together. Brother Ken? For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. Ken, can you start over for just a second? Go back to the very beginning. I want you to say that real clear, what Paul wrote. For I do not understand my own actions. Have you ever been there? Hey, hey, have you ever just, I mean, in that moment, I mean, there they were, and you just, for one time in that glorious moment, you want to give them a piece of your mind, and you did, you did, you gave them a piece of your mind, and it was glorious and wonderful and grand, and then you're driving down the road, and this overwhelming feeling of, man, I shouldn't have done that. What was I doing? What was I thinking? Paul says it just like this, for I do not understand my own actions. I fail to even understand myself what I do. Keep reading, Ken. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. You see, Paul's saying here that when you have this struggle, why is it that I do that? I know I shouldn't do that. It's it's so horrible. I know it's wrong. And yet you, you do it and you feel terrible and you repent and then you go back to it and you do it again and you feel terrible and you repent. And Paul's saying what the law does, the law says that's wrong. That's not what you should do. And that's true. That's good. Some people say just live by the book. Just do what the book says. The problem is the book keeps saying, oh, your book keeps saying, you're wrong. You're guilty. You messed up. And so honestly, why some people don't read the Bible is not because they don't understand what's in it, but because they do understand what's in it. And this is what Paul's saying. The law points out that we mess up. And we don't even, we're not even smart enough to figure out why we mess up. Keep going, Ken. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. Did you catch that? Nothing good within me. Can, can, you, can we just repeat that for a second? Nothing good within me. I know you think you're good. I know that compared to the list of 7 billion people in the world, you think you're probably at least in the top third. But Paul says this. There is, repeat it with me, there is nothing good within me. Me. Keep going, Ken. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Have you ever been there? 
You want to do the thing that's right, but you don't have the ability to carry it out. I mean, it's happened to me just yesterday. Just yesterday, I'm pulling off the highway. I go down the the off-ramp. I come to the stoplight, and before I get to the stoplight, I see I'm going to be in a pickle. There's a guy holding a sign, and I have to wrestle with that. And I wish I could tell you I did what was right, but I identify with Paul. I know what I need. I know what's good. I, I have the ability to do it, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. Keep going. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. You ready for a, a positive, encouraging, uplifting Christmas message? <laughs> The truth is the world is a dark place, and to some degree or another, it's your fault. You contribute to it. I contribute to it. It is what is called sin, darkness. When you hear someone say the world is a dark place, you need to say amen, and I am part of it. That doesn't mean all the time. I'm not saying you're the worst people in the world. I kind of like most of you, but... Here's the thing. We all have within us what Paul had within us. This very same struggle. So if you're here this morning and you're a guest and you're like, I don't belong in church. I don't have anything to do with church people. Church is not my place. These are not my people. You need to understand that we as church understand we are not here because we are perfect. We are here because he is perfect. This was the, the only remedy, you see, for darkness is light. There's really not a, such a thing as darkness. Darkness is only the absence of light. And so when Jesus came into the world, we no longer had the absence of light, but the presence of light. Now, when we understand our hopeless condition, our inability to even understand or to act in the way that we should, we understand our great need for Christ. Now, now you're ready to hear the story of a Savior. We're going to hear about it from Matthew. Turn to Matthew chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Matthew chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, describes in part the birth story this way. Now, I realize it was written 20 centuries ago, but in Matthew 4, 15 and 16, he could have written this about what was in the headlines yesterday. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. You see, when Jesus came into the world, when God stepped into human skin and came as a baby boy, what was happening in that moment is that light was coming into darkness. That light was coming to illuminate our dark world. Turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1, verses 78 and 79. 
because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. When a baby was born, whenever he was born, on whatever date he was born, what was happening there was much more important than the date. What was happening is that for the first time since the beginning of time, light was coming into darkness. Our hope is only with him. The light is Jesus himself, the light of the world. And when he was born, heavenly light, not of this world, came into the world. Not just to be a part of it, but to conquer once and for all the darkness. In the verse that was read for us by Matt, in the beginning, John chapter 1, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made, and in Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. You see, the light is not from us. When you and I try to light up a world by doing, by, by practicing our own solutions, by being good enough, by, by forcing everything to depend on us, we will fail every time. But when we use our life as a vessel for the light to reflect back to the only one worthy of being called the Savior, then we understand what God, uh, what God's purpose for us as followers of the light is all about. The true light, says John, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world does not recognize him. And so this morning, there were three choices that they had 2,000 years ago when he came into the world. When he began to teach, when he began to talk about the light, when he began to live the light, when he began to let the light be sacrificed for the darkness. Three choices. Number one, they got to choose whether they wanted to savor the darkness. John writes an interesting thing in his gospel. And I'm referencing John so much because we're in on Sunday nights. It's, it's been a very helpful study, I think. But he says this. This is the judgment. That light has come into the world. But men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. You see, just because light came into the world does not mean that people always loved the light. Wasn't true then, isn't true now. So we can get flustered that people don't come to Christ, but we have to understand the choice has to be made. Whether they're going to love darkness, whether they're going to love light. If you're this morning and, and you've been loving darkness more than light, let me tell you, that only works for a short time. Because those who love the darkness one day will be in eternal darkness You need the light. You need the light for yourself. And he's waiting for you. 
Now, once we decide that we want the light, then it's not just a matter of inviting the light into your heart or saying a prayer saying, you know, I I accept you, Jesus, the light. No, we've got to seek the light. We've got to seek it out. John says in John 12, I have come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. This morning I want to call you, I want to ask you if you're ready not just to step out of the darkness, but to begin seeking the light. And then once you're in Christ, once, you're, once you've been forgiven of your sins and, and been given the Holy Spirit, which happens at baptism, once that process begins, my question then, are you willing to shine the light? For God said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, is some people hear me talk about baptism and, and being forgiven and receiving the Holy Spirit. And you're like, yep, I did that, checked off. I did that 52 years ago. You can't claim to be in Christ, in Jesus, the light of the world, and still be walking in darkness. Can I say it any more plainly? You cannot going around saying, yes, Jesus loves you, and then treat everyone else so horribly. That's so, that's, the two ideas don't come together. Darkness cannot mix with the light. So we have to be willing not only to walk in the light, but to let the light shine through us. The choice this morning is up to you. And so as we sing this final song, I'm going to call you. If you're walking in darkness, I want to call you to stop and to begin seeking the light. And if you're in the light, but you've been living with a pretty full vessel and not much light is getting through, I want to repent. Whatever your need is this morning, I need you to know that the light is not from you. The light is for you. But you've got to choose whether or not you're going to accept it, whether you're going to live by it, whether you're going to walk in it. Whatever your need might be this morning, if we can help in any way, come meet us down front. We'll help you, either help you begin the journey with Christ or return to the ways of light that you haven't been walking in. Whatever your need is, please come. As together we stand and sing.